0: Oh yeah
1: Oh yeah Everything, everything, everything Gonna be alright this
0: morning Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, yeah. here is producer Dawson Izerlowe and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
2: Oh, how about a breggy bomb for you there, Astros fan? been a minute since you've seen one of those it's been a minute since you've seen him perform well at the dish also wait for it did Mr. Abreu have a multi-hit game oh he did as the Astros take down the Chicago Cubs 6-4 to at Minute Maid Park yesterday to improve to 22-19 on the season good morning Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one. Of course, I'm joined inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson. Eyes a.k.a. Two Degrees, a.k.a. Producer Extraordinaire, a.k.a. the son of Iceman. Also now, a.k.a. Doubleheader Dawson. It's a thing. We'll explain a little bit later on. Got a great show lined up for you today. Brett Chancey from Locked On Astros will be joining us an hour from right now to talk all things Schroes. Jim Gazzolo from the Lake Charles American Press and host of the Meanie's Coaches Show will be joining us at 8 o'clock. Softball teams headed to Seattle for an NCAA regional. Baseball team, they dropped two of three to Northwestern State. They got a game tonight at LSU before wrapping up their regular season against Miami of Ohio. Also, Will Wade added three more recruits and he is putting together a signing class that may go down as the most star-studded class in McNeese basketball history. That didn't take long, did it? No, it did not. And, of course, we'll talk NBA playoffs with our guy, Ali Cassell, and her chief of the Bird Rights. So those are our guests that we got lined up today. Of course, we'd love to hear from you. Game hotline's always open. 337 706 0111. That's 337 706 0111. We'll also get to Raging Cajuns, gearing up for a big week softball team, obviously the Baton Rouge Regional, and the baseball team heading over to Hattiesburg to take on Southern Miss in the regular season finale series over there. But let's start with the Strohs. Alex Bregman, as we know, the former LSU Star World Series champion for the Houston Astros, is a slow starter. Things never start off hot for the former Tiger. Even when he finished as runner-up to Mike Trout in the MVP that year, he even started that year off slow. It's just what he does. Takes him a while to get ramped up. And this season is no exception. But boy, last night it sure did feel like he took a step in the right direction. Breggs hits a tie-breaking two-run home run in the seventh inning to help power the Astros to a 6-4 win over the Chicago Cubs. The Astros led 4-0 after the first inning, but Christopher Morrell slugged a three-run home run as the Cubs tied it by scoring four in the fourth. Well, that's not optimal. I mean, It's optimal for the Cubs. It's not optimal for the Astros correct Dawson yeah that math checks out thank you thank you thank you 4-4 and then Dubon who had been banged up for a little while comes in singles with two outs in the seventh and then that sets up Breggs to launch his home run over the left field wall off of Michael Fulmer now Breggs is still only hitting 2-12 not great that is that is not what you want out of your starting third baseman and someone who sits in the, t- in, in the top of the lineup, right? Uh, 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 no. But maybe this can be the thing that kind of jumpstarts him, so to speak. He had been batting just 170 so far in the month of May. Remember, he'd climbed his average up a little bit, and then the month of May happened, and Bregman went... Bruh and just disappeared. Now, should we get too excited about a Monday night game against the Cubs we are under 500 in the month of May? No, but look, a win is a win, and it's good to see the Astros come out and start a series with a dub as well. And it's all about building momentum right now. It's all about trying to find things that are positive positive. That you can build upon, and for the shows, getting Bregman to step up, getting Abreu and Dubon to get multi hits, you got to win. And the bullpen was
3: fantastic. Uh, I think that's that's also a big key. They went five innings, one hit, no runs, uh, just one walk, and eight strikeouts from the bullpen. I mean, from five different guys as well. So Framber didn't have his best stuff. Actually, he gives up the four spot in the fourth inning. And your bullpen picks him up, gives you a great outing. Now, other side of that is you kind of taxed your bullpen on a Monday, right, with a couple of games left in the series. So we'll, we'll kind of see. But nobody went more than one inning, so nobody had to be extended. So, you know, in theory, those guys will be available. Also, you gave Hector Naris a save opportunity because Ryan Presley pitched yesterday, so you didn't have to double up on him. So Presley will be available. Um, and you'll be, you know, trying to get the series victory here on a Tuesday.
2: Also during this game... You know, the Cubs try to make a splash, right, with Bellinger. Well, the former Rookie of the Year postseason hero, NL MVP, Gold Glove winner, uh, got injured in this game for the Cubbies. Uh, Injured his left knee after he robbed Tucker on an acrobatic catch. Yeah, and he's been so good this year my fantasy team
3: has appreciated it as well but um that was tough and and you hope that you hope it's not serious we'll see I think he's officially listed as day to day but of course you know that's kind of what you that's kind of what happens when you get hurt in a situation like that they're not gonna rush to put him on the IL in- no, or anything and,
2: and he just crumbled to the ground like you're like oh man once again not a Cubs fan but you hate to see it right it's not what you would you don't hope that on anybody. Now, Bregman gets the two-run bomb, which is huge. And you mentioned the bullpen. Uh, Montero and Naris were both sensational. But you also look at the Astros lineup. Dubon, three for four, two runs scored. Bregman went two for four with the two-run blast. Alvarez got a hit, got on base two more times because he draws so many walks. But how about a Bray you, bud? huh? multi-hit game. Now, you're still not getting the power you thought you'd get from him. Yeah, just
3: pop one in the Crawford boxes, please. Just one. It just needs to be a (laughs) 312-foot
2: excuse me, Homer, into the Crawford boxes. Excuse me, Homer, he says. Two for three, did score a run, drove in two also drew a walk and there was a double in there that's good to see that's not a bad hey compared to what you have gotten from Maldonado's offensive renaissance seems to be over as quickly as it started <laughs> oh it, that, that's how it always is with 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 Martin isn't it he comes once again he's a guy that gives you nothing for 14 games and all of a sudden he can just jack a three-run blast and you're like hey Martin, Maldonado's on this team he can still hit McCormick Got you two hits as well, so nice to see. Stroh's got eleven hits in total in this ball game, and you'd like to see this continue to build. Pena got himself a hit, by the way. His average is now two fifty five, so it's a little bit closer for where it needs to be. Would you like to know what Abreu's average is after going two for three and drawing a walk in last night's game? just want to take a guess. I mean, I know what it is, but you can say it anyway. <laughs> it's only up to 223.
3: Oh, man. By the way, uh, the initial tests on Bellinger's left leg ruled out a serious injury, according to Megan Montemiro of the Chicago Tribune.
2: So that's uh, oh, good news there. There's, there's, there's sources. There's information. There's data for you. My man bringing it. It's just. Weird for me. Look, I know we live in a different era now where batting average doesn't matter. I I get it. It's not as valued as it used to be. The standard used to be you would be considered a good hitter if you could hit 300. That was the standard. Like, I grew up in an era with George Brett playing third base for the Royals and winning batting titles. And Tony Gwynn batting 350, playing right field. Like, I know those days are gone. But it's weird for me to watch. You know, Bregman's a great player, like a great player. He's been two twelve. Yeah, well, I mean, I was gonna say I don't
3: know where you're going with that. Jose Abreu hasn't been a good hitter by any modern metrics or ancient metrics. So, I mean, he, his OPS is. I mean, it's what in the 500s still? I think.
2: Ooh, let me see here. Yeah, it's, it's it. His slugging is two sixty eight. His I mean, OBP that's, is two seventy four. Oh yeah, dude. so his so
3: that's his awful. OPS is in the five. I mean, and you're you're talking about. Jordan Alvarez, a guy who sits in the 900s in
2: OPS regularly. I mean, yes, yeah, yes, yes. Abreu is on the struggle bus, but here's the thing: it's not as if you can bench him, Dawson. First of all, Dusty's an old school skipper. That's not going to happen. First of all, because he's he has the belief of, and that's how he was raised, and that's how he played. You bat yourself out of a slump benching you for a slump and doesn't can, hurt doesn't I mean, help he you do that and again like it's 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 fine it's may um it's may but you, you like yeah i mean you spent all that money for a guy to hit 223 not, not optimal op- not optimal but getting a win last night is by the way um oh here we go martin maldonado has a higher ops than jose braille <laughs> that, is, that is that is amazing <laughs> Say that again for the people who yeah, may yeah, have just Yeah, that's machete. <laughs> he's
3: he's only hitting one eighty three, but his OPS is still higher because he actually hits the ball out of the ballpark occasionally.
2: Oh, oh. Yeah, and they still I mean they, they still have Abreu hitting in the five hole. You know who we should ask about Abreu struggles? It's all Brett Chancy. Brett Chansey, yeah. From the Locked On Astros podcast. And He'll we will. join us. He'll join us less than an hour from right now. But right now, we have to take a timeout because when we return here, you know, we're so focused on the softball regionals, right, for McNeese, UL, LSU. We also got the regular season wrapping up for college baseball. we Will be conference tournament time the next week, and then after that it will be time for regionals. But our friends over on the Cajun Prairie, oh, man, they started their playoff run yesterday at home. At the E, that's right, LSU E, where success starts. We'll get a recap of the action from a man who was on the call for the action, our own guy, Dawson Islow. That's coming up next right here on the game.
0: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
3: The man, that ball's in the dirt. Here comes Williams to the plate. And he's going to be in there. Bengals win. Bengals win. It's a wild pitch that gets away from the catcher, Owen, and Reuben Williams steals second. He steals third, and he steals home to give the Bengals a win in the first game of their Region 23 tournament. 7-6, to six, the final score. There it was. There it I was. You a good job, bud. Appreciate that, yep. Uh, it was quite a game to start the region twenty three tournament for the Bengals. Uh they didn't play very well, to be honest, early on in this game. They made five errors. I that oh. probably a season high. I haven't checked on that, but it's I mean, they certainly I can't remember a game where they played that poorly defensively. Jeff Willis
2: was not happy about the five errors.
3: Right. And um but they battled. And you know, look, it's it's tournament time and, and um, this is a Region 23 tournament field that's loaded every team in the tournament, all six of them, either in the top 25 rankings or receiving votes, uh, the way Northeast Mississippi was yesterday, the team that the Bengals played. Uh, LSU, the number one overall seed and the host of the tournament. And um, it, was, it was exciting. And so they, they went down early, and they battled back throughout. They could never draw even, but then they finally got a two-spot um, in the bottom of the sixth inning, to, or in the bottom of the seventh, rather, to, to draw even and then game stayed 6-6 till the bottom of the ninth, and Zach Thomas got on base with a walk. Pinch ran for Ruben Williams, who's a freshman who is just a ton of life off the bench, and he stole second, stole third, and then a little breaking ball in the dirt bounces away, not very far away. Williams gets a great jump, steals home, and uh, steals an opening round win for the Bengals, who now sets up a matchup in the second round that I think a lot of people have been waiting for, the defending uh, Region 23 tournament champions, the defending junior college national champions, Pearl River, will meet up with the Bengals today at 3.30. And that should be uh, a really good game in the winner's bracket. Double elimination, so everybody's still in play
2: after the first day of play at the Region 23 tournament. Oh, there we go. There we go. My man was on the call. it's giving you the, the 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 eyes on the ground, the feet on the ground perspective. Now, it's... A weird win. Five errors. They have to win on some crazy base running there at the end. And the longtime skipper, the man that's led them to all their national championships, Jeff Willis had this to say about the victory last night.
4: Well, I mean, you look at it, you don't get style points at this time of the year. We played uncharacteristically not very well. Um, We we had some big moments, though. You know, Cooper had a two-strike bunt. They scored a run. You know, Jobert put a ball in play with two strikes and two outs, and we were able to get a run there. And um, Cooper has three hits. Mangrum has three hits. And, you know, I think we had 12 hits on the night. And uh, we just got to eliminate the the freebies, you know, you walk, the walks and the, the errors that we having. But that's uncharacteristic. First game out, we haven't played in, you know, quite a while as well. And uh, very proud of the guys of overcoming the adversity and being down 4 nothing, and then, You'll claw back 4-3 and they take in another run and then we scratch one and it's kind of back and forth and we didn't fold. We didn't fold. We gave ourselves a chance to win in the ninth.
2: Not their best game as you said, Dawson. But obviously they found a way to gut out a win. And this kind of thing, look. You are the team with the target on your back. Even though the defending champs may be in the field. You're the host. You're S You're the standard, right? All the uh, another thing to mention, not to cut you off there, but all these teams. Oh, well, that's fine. You can win. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, fine. That's, that's fine. That's fine.
3: Uh, all these teams are familiar with each other. So, another in case you know, some of you may not be familiar with this format. LSU is the only Louisiana school that plays in Division Two in junior college. So, uh, they pair up with the Mississippi conference so essentially LSU is the only Louisiana school involved and you've got a bunch of Mississippi schools that play each other throughout the season um in LSU they played I think they played East Central but that's the only team in this tournament that they've seen in the regular season whereas the others have all seen each other in conference play so that's another kind of interesting aspect about this
2: correct what else you got bud?
3: Well, I mean, another thing, I, look, I don't know, again, I don't know how many of you have been locked in L S U E baseball over on the digital network this year, but the, the Bengals are 50-3 and three now. So that's when we say uncharacteristic, uh, that's what we mean. This is a team that doesn't make a lot of mistakes and hasn't made a lot of mistakes all season. So to come out, I mean, and look, Northeast Mississippi, they came in with a ton of energy. The dugout was fired up early and often in this game. Uh, they brought some fans as well, and those fans were loud. And, um... You know, I thought, by the way, they started Patrick Vien, the UL commit, uh, started for LSUE. e uh, And he didn't have his best outing. He was kind of searching for his stuff, um, but he wasn't helped out by his defense. Him, he made an error himself that was kind of a big mistake, threw a ball over first base and cost him a couple of runs. So overall, like all that adversity to come back, still stay in it. They out-hit Northeast Mississippi, uh, I think 12-6. to they just uh, they found the big timely hits when they needed them. And then Reuben Williams comes off the bench. And I mean, just just an incredible job to get it done in the end. And, you know, I mean, the other thing, too, is, is that's kind of the identity of this team, right? They're not going to let that moment be too big for them. And, um, you know, Coach Willis talked about how, how hard his team usually plays.
4: Yeah, I mean, we, we got great kids, man. They love each other. They play for each other. Um, work extremely hard and work not just on the field and in the weight room extremely hard, but work hard in the classroom, man. And when you get down to this time of the year, you want a group that deserves to win. And, you know, our guys our guys deserve to win. That doesn't always mean you are going to win, but our guys deserve to win, and that's all you can ask for. I'm very proud of them when they got punched in the mouth. They're able to get back up and punch back and then, and then give us ourselves a chance late in the game. And look...
2: For a team like LSUE, a program like them, to get tested this way, to not have their best game, and still find a way to grind out a win like that can only help them. i am always been a guy that believes in that. When your team that has won as many titles as they have, has won as many games as they have, has the bullseye on their back, when you get tested and have an off day, but yet you still find a way to grind out a win, That's just going to make you even that more confident heading into the next game. Also going to make you far more sharp and focused because you didn't play well the day before. And you usually don't see a team play bad like that and have those miscues back-to-back days. Usually doesn't happen.
3: Certainly. No, and and I wouldn't expect that. And, and, you know, they also got... The thing with Patrick Vienne too, he didn't have his best stuff. I mentioned he's headed uh, to be a Raging Cajun next season, but he but he's able to grind him out through six innings. So he gave up some runs, gave up, you know, again, some of the defensive miscues weren't on him. Um, he did have some issues with walks, which he's not usually a guy who walks very many. But they saved that bullpen. They only had to use, uh, I think, two guys out of the pen. So they'll have uh, an entire look. They didn't throw their ace, by the way. Um, so we could see Parker Webb today. I'm not sure if they're going to go with him or maybe use him in some other type of role, but you've still got a lot of options on the mound, um, and that kind of makes things interesting, again, as you're in a double elimination format, but you want to stay in the winner's bracket, and today's a chance to do that against Pearl River, Um, so that's going to be interesting to see. But overall, I mean, look, and this is another thing. It was a fun atmosphere out there yesterday, and I mean, a lot more people than I thought um, showed up for, you know, afternoon baseball game. Of course, you got... Uh, the teams from Mississippi, a lot of them traveling in for this whole week, right, with the tournament play. But good atmosphere, a lot of things going on around the ballpark. And um, Coach Willis kind of talked about what it's like hosting a tournament like this.
4: Well, I, I think, you know, it's always fun to play in front of a lot of people and, you know, very, very happy that the people showed up and we'll have a good one tomorrow and people are going to show up tomorrow and, you know, two really good teams playing at playing tomorrow. Really, I mean, if you look at it, six really good teams here um, in this regional, I think you got the, you know, four of the top eight teams of 14th ranked team or 13th ranked team and then the other one receiving votes and there's not a tougher, tougher regional in the country right now and, and we'll just have to continue to play well um, and, and get some breaks and let the ball go our way too. Thank
2: So, that was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> you also, you see, you're burying the lead. Uh, look, Jeff Willis's team, getting out there, getting a win, grinding it out, great. But you had to step up and deal with a delay in weather. Yeah. And somebody had an accident on the way. Their tire blew out on their car. So you were asked to fill in and do play-by-play for the second game that did not involve LSU yesterday, right? Yeah, the third night. game
3: of the day, second game, yeah, second game for me. So that that was fun. The lightning was uh, was fun. just right in the area to where we couldn't play that one on time. So uh, stayed for the nightcap, um, most of it at least. I actually la- shout out to Travis Webb. He actually picked it up for me in the seventh inning because um, I had to get on the road um, as Eunice is a bit of a drive, but. Uh, that was an interesting game as well, and um, Itawamba was facing um, East Central, and East Central, who's the regular season champs in the MAC Conference, got a uh, run rule victory, so they also move on to the winner's bracket. So the three winners, Pearl River, uh, East Central, and LSUE, all move into the winner's bracket, and then we'll have, again, it's a six-team tournament. There's some weird tournament stuff. I won't, I won't get into all the uh, specifics of it, but the point is the Bengals are uh, still in the control of their own
2: destiny in the winner's bracket. There you go. There you go. Good stuff by guy, d We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, big week for Raging Cajun softball and baseball team. Softball team gears up for the Baton Rouge Regional. Baseball team heads over to the Berg to take on Southern Miss in the final regular season series of the year. We'll hear from Coach Glasgow and Coach Deggs next right here on the game.
5: If you're not gonna be at home, that's as close as you can be. When you drive across the basin, what, 45 miles, and we'll be um, at a place we're familiar with, a great competitive school uh, hosting LSU. And I'm thrilled. I'm just, I'm really tickled, you know, to have that challenge in front of us and in that location. It's it's as good as you can do and not be at home. And and I'm sure our fans will turn out in huge numbers. Our kids are really excited about the um, challenge ahead. And so it starts with Omaha. That's where I'm at. I was, I, as soon as the show was over, I watched film to way up in the morning. They've got an outstanding pitcher. She's extremely good against right hand hitters. I think right hand hitters have hit 145 against her. She's averaged 10 and a half strikeouts a game. Um, she's good. Uh, lefties hit a little bit better. They hit 240 against her. They played, you know, they split with Iowa. They played competitive games against Texas. Um, they beat Iowa State. They they played some really good RPI teams. Central Arkansas one to nothing. They're they're going to be a formidable opponent in round one, which is really good because you're going to have a formidable opponent from now on, and that that gets us awake and we're going to have to really compete hard. They're outstanding coaches. Um, they 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 make plays. Um, they're coaching no travel ball coach, and those guys are dangerous. Um, they know how to win, and he's, he's doing a tremendous job with the athletes he's got there.
3: So for most college baseball programs, a, a great run and a season ends in Omaha, but for Jerry Glasgow's squad, the run's going to begin with a game against Omaha.
2: I had no idea that there was even a college softball team named Omaha until the selection show on Sunday.
3: Uh, I think the long name for the school is the University of Nebraska Omaha. I think they've shortened it to Omaha for Omaha! Um, branding purposes, such as what the Cajuns have done. There somewhat. we go. So, we go. Um,
2: do people get upset? Does Nebraska get upset about them being referred to as Omaha by uh, any chance? I wouldn't is think so because okay, Nebraska is not in Omaha. But I'm just checking. It's a good thought. Um, it, uh, Omaha is in
3: Nebraska, right? But 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 I think. The schools that get upset about another name would probably pr- prefer it if the school went by the city that they're in. You know what I mean?
2: I was I was just pointing out the silliness of it all.
3: Yeah, no, it's all. I'm, sure, I'm,
2: sure, I'm glad that doubleheader didn't zap your uh, sense of humor this morning. Yeah, no, I'm, all, I'm all in with that. <laughs> um, but, look, Omaha's got a pitcher, uh, and she's
3: good. And so that's, you know, look, that's interesting. That's That's always, you're not going to face a ton of teams that don't have a good pitcher in the regionals, but... This is true, yes. Um, Omaha's pitcher is a little bit better than your average regional pitcher, I would say. And Cameron Meyer, she's fifth in the nation in strikeouts. She's got over 265 strikeouts in just 177 or so innings pitched. So, I mean, almost two an inning. Um, Just just really impressive. And Coach Glasgow gave his thoughts on that pitcher. Cameron Meyer.
5: Uh, Rise ball, curve ball, um, and I would say Kander Lamb would be a really good example um that's who I kept thinking like she's just like Candle Lamb uh, when I watched her she she goes up she throws 67 68 at times um moves the ball around um so that that was a picture um uh, that kind of reminded me the most of she throws harder than Lackey um similar in size You could make a comparison, probably to Lackey, um, as close as anybody in our conference I can think of.
2: We're going to have to have a conversation when the season's over, and maybe do a little training with Coach Glasgow about not grabbing the microphone when you're at the stand. Is what we're going to have to do. Yeah, (laughs) that's That's, We're just going. I'm adding that. I'm jotting that down as we speak. Well. Talk to Coach about not grabbing the microphone at the mic. Stand. If we could secure the, everything there, though, I think we could also get rid of the issue. Yeah, would, that, that would be helpful. Look, everyone's going to talk about UL-LSU matchup, right? This is the fifth time in the last 10 years that they've faced off in a regional. They face off in the regular season. It's become a great rivalry, of course. Uh, Yvette Gerard coached both programs, so there's always going to be connection between the two that are separated by 50 miles. But they have to do whatever it takes to be focused in on the first game, right? Like the fans are going to be focused in on, oh, LSU, you are going to play on Saturday. Well, they're not going to play on Saturday like you expect them to if. The Cajuns don't take care of business first on Friday. And Jerry knows that. He understands that. And he made sure to echo that sentiment during his press conference yesterday about being locked in on the opponent in front of you and not looking ahead.
5: Yeah, I think that that's my job and that's our coaching staff's job just to keep them in the moment. And the moment uh, has to go through Omaha. You know, it, it has to be. There's no, there's no future if you don't get through that game, and that'll be our job, and we'll, we'll, we'll focus on that, and we'll do that, and then I think for that to happen with our players, it has to happen with our, our coaches, and I, I, I know that, um, you know, I'm gonna have the best scouting report of the, of the season on this game ready when we get to, uh, Friday at what two, so our players will do what we do, they'll reflect off of us, they'll feed off of us. And uh, I'm all in on Omaha.
2: As they should be. And even though they face a very good pitcher, and you heard Jerry break it down earlier, I still like them in advance. And we've spent so much time yesterday, and Cajun fans have spent so much time being angry about the fact that they're in the Baton Rouge Regional. You heard Jerry's tone. He doesn't care. He's like, that's great. Our fans get to come. right? I mean, last year they had to go to what, Clemson? How many Ragin' Cajun softball fans made the trek over to South Carolina? Probably not that many. So, there'll be plenty of Vermilion and White in the stands, as it always is when they meet up and play in Baton Rouge. And we've focused so much on the Cajuns got screwed. They didn't get to host a regional. They have to play LSU again. Has anyone considered the fact that maybe the tigers are the ones that got the got a bit of a disservice here that you get to host a regional and oh by the way a team that is one of your rivals is only 40 minutes away can bring all their fans oh and had an rpi of 11 is the 2 seed in your regional like if if you're beth terina and her club you're you're not thrilled about what happened on sunday either by the way just just going to throw it out there we focus so much on the Cajuns in this regard. Uh, the committee didn't yeah. necessarily help out LSU all that much either.
3: No, so I, so I did my rant yesterday. So I'm going to put that behind me and move on. Try and grow as a person. But <laughs> for the Cajuns, to grow it really person. is. If you weren't going to host a regional as an 11, 12, or 13, or 14 seed, you got your you got you got your best case scenario. Most likely, uh, you're going to an LSU team. Now look. There were some people that were questioning LSU's hosting resume, and I wasn't one of those. Again, I talked about that yesterday. I think they had a great resume to host. Um, but they're not as dominant as some of the LSU teams we've seen in the past. They still have great pitching, um, and they have a good lineup. They're a formidable opponent, but they're beatable, as the Cajuns did earlier this season at Tiger Park. Um, and they're a 10 seed, so that means your super regional matchup isn't against one of those quote-unquote unbeatable or very difficult to beat you play the winner of the Seattle regional right so you'd have the at worst the seven seed Washington um, who is also a team that I think is
2: beatable on paper right and so McNeese beat them during the regular season yes the
3: the Cajuns have a, a path here and they have an opportunity so while it wasn't and I and look and and I fought for bigger picture and I saw a lot of people saying it's so much better than being a 16 seed and have to play Oklahoma that's fine Uh, My argument was more about the bigger picture and how these things are treated in general. Uh, I wasn't focused on this year's contextual implications, and I argued with that about, you know, with Kevin
2: It is 6.45, and you're bringing all this fancy terminology with those two degrees of yours to the table.
3: Yeah, well, you know, the brain's on a little bit on autopilot, so sometimes it's just kind of got to go with what comes to mind um, on four (laughs) hours of sleep. but. With all that being said, I think you have an opportunity here. And I think opportunity is the correct word here. The committee gave you, they didn't maybe give you the respect or the, you know, the uh, merit you deserved, but they gave you an opportunity. And I don't know if they did that on purpose. I also had that debate with foot. Um, but it happened that way. So, you go to Baton Rouge, fan base is going to travel. Um, you know, you mentioned didn't sound like Coach Glasgow cares. I, I think he probably cared uh, a lot more on Sunday night, but I think he's taken that approach that, you have to in this business, which is Monday is here, and it's no reason to complain anymore. It's time to get focused on the opportunity that lies ahead. So I think they'll be prepared and ready to go. Um, but, again, that LSU team, you know, they've look, they've had a lot of talks, and, and Beth Tarina's had um, some rumors swirling around about her future there, and I don't know if those have any merit to them, but they're going to want to
2: go out there and prove something as well and, and defend their home turf. It should be an excellent regional. For the Raging Cajuns baseball team, they're coming off an absolute huge weekend. They had swept ULM the weekend prior, but people were like, eh. But then they lost to Louisiana Tech in a midweek game. They come back home for the final regular home series of the year, take on Texas State, who at the time was the third best team in the Sunbelt Conference. Well, the Cajuns went out there and swept them. Now, the Cajuns are firmly in place in third place. They've clinched a spot for the Sunbelt Conference Tournament in Montgomery. And they have an opportunity, speaking of, right in front of them as they go to take on the best team in the conference, the Southern Miss Golden Eagles, who have won 13 straight. And Coach Matt Deggs talked about just how big of a deal it was for his team to get the sweep over the weekend there at the Teague.
6: Great question, Jamarcus, because I thought yesterday was the absolute key to everything for the entire year. And to be honest with you, our play initially, and we had to meet up in the fourth or fifth. Whenever we scored six runs, we had met up that inning. And I told them, you know, do you want me to be honest with you? And obviously, they said yes. And I said, well, most of the time I am. And I'm not going to sugarcoat this. We look like a team that's satisfied right now with two out of three. And that's not what this program stands for. That's not what the people that built this thing and played before us stand for. And we need to get it going right now. And because the importance of that game is 17 wins, to your point, I believe is a big number uh, based on the matchups that are going to go down this weekend. I may be wrong. But... Uh, I believe that's a big number, and uh, like I said, we need to work to win the game that we're in. Uh, Obviously, Southern Miss is a very, very good team, a great coach team, and uh, they've got a lot of older players on that team that know how to play and know how to win. Uh, It'll be a tough environment, but we've done well on the road. We're we're used to playing. uh, You know, we won at LSU. Uh, This team's not going to get awed by anything. We've just got to stick to what works, and that's. Good starting pitching, Okay, continue to play great defense. We lead the league in defense and play our game offensively, fast, hard, and loose, and, and see what happens. Uh, but yesterday's sweep was key, uh, in my opinion, because it was like winning a game next week.
2: And, look, we've talked about the Sunbelt Conference, and, look, they, they swept a good Texas State team. So that's a heck of a win, a heck of an entire weekend. And everyone is automatically saying, well, Southern Miss, they don't have a chance. Well, Coastal Carolina was ranked in the top 10, and they should have won that series. They had some miscues in the field, and they had some miscues on the bump. Lost the series. Let it get away from them. Baseball, as we talk about all the time, is the great equalizer. And this conference tournament that's coming up, Next weekend, next week rather, in Montgomery, yeah, Southern Miss is great. They're coming off a super regional appearance. They're the best team in the conference. Doesn't mean that they're going to win the conference tournament because there's a lot of good teams in this conference, like Coastal, like Texas State, like the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And Matt Degg spoke about that as well, saying, look, the conference itself is really good, and it's been that way all year long
6: just really and truly this the it's the same thing that we've been doing kev you know you mentioned it this morning we dug ourselves a hole right and we could debate the reasons all right but dug ourselves a hole when that happens you just put your head down and go to work and you don't look at anything just don't do it uh it's kind of like when you're hitting 200 don't go check stat sheet just just work to be a 300 hitter today okay and that's all we've done is just work to be a great team today. And the formula is do whatever it takes. I'll pitch everybody on a team to win one game. I will. And that's the formula. Is, is I've been for the last two weeks in tournament or regional mode where the most important game of the year is today. And that's the way that we approach it. And you're right, it's a jumbled mess, but that streaks that speaks to the the uh, how good this league is this year. It's number five. I mean Okay, you you think fifth, right? That's not even a bronze medal. But when you go SEC, ACC, Big Twelve pack, and then you go oh, Sumbo Yeah, there's a lot of teams that are going to get in a regional from this league this year.
2: He's not wrong. They got four last year. I'd expect four again this year. I think I think that you, that'd be a safe bet. At least three could be four. So we'll see how it all plays out we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number one coming up right here on The Game.
0: This is RP3 and company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. It's like
6: we're almost out of beer. Well,
0: it's kind of early for the latter. Isn't it? Maybe.
7: Probably.
0: Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick ass sports talk with RP3 and Company on the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: We got about a minute here want to share the news with you that happened Lafayette Christian Academy star Jawan Johnson announced his commitment to LSU last night he's the seventh best prospect in the state of Louisiana for the class of 2024 that's according to 247 sports he had been committed to go play for Deion Sanders in the Colorado Buffaloes but that whole situation in Colorado is kind of weird Keep an eye on that from a distance. He decommitted, and now he's locked in, committed to LSU for now. Once again, there's still time for him to change his mind. Seventh best prospect in the state. He will play cornerback. He's projected to play cornerback at the next level. Last year, he had over 5,400 yards in 60 total touchdowns playing dual threat quarterback for the LCA Knights he was all state and of course all Acadiana but is expected to move to cornerback when he gets to college once again originally committed to Colorado now staying at home staying to play for the LSU Tigers as expected but that's a big deal that's a big deal especially for a position group that they're having to been forced to since Brian Kelly's there go into the transfer portal to get guys so to be able to get a home state guy to stay and you can develop him that's big for them hour one in the books hour number two coming up we'll kick it off with Brett Chancey of Locked On Astros that's next right here on the game oh
1: yeah
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> everything, everything,
0: everything gonna
1: be alright this morning
0: Live, Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette yeah. Here is producer Dawson Izerlowe and your big, bald, beautiful host Raymond the III, better known as RP3
2: Our number two has arrived here on RP3 and Company. Woo. Our number one was good. We talked Houston Astros baseball getting a win. Breggy Baum coming up big. Key in that game, as was the bullpen's performance. We also touched on LSUE opening up region play with a dramatic win. Someone was on the call for that. It was very exciting to listen to. Then, of course... We also touched on Raging Cajun softball, baseball, softball, gearing up for the Baton Rouge Regional. We heard from Jerry Glasgow and Matt Deggs' team, the baseball team, going over to Southern Miss for the final regular season series against the Golden Eagles of the Berg. We also gave you the news about uh, Jawan Johnson of LCA, the star dual-threat quarterback who decommitted from Colorado and is now committed to the LSU Tigers. He's projected to play cornerback at the next level for Brian Kelly's team. Right now, though, it's time for us to welcome on our first guest of today's show. He's going to break down more about those Houston Astros who have been playing a little bit better of late. It's the man who co-hosts the Locked On Astros podcast. Our buddy Brett Chancey joins us. Brett, good morning to you, bud. How are you?
1: I'm doing wonderful. How's everybody in Southeast Louisiana?
2: We're doing tremendous, my friend. We're doing tremendous. So let's start off. Good time as ever for uh, a Breggy bomb. Haven't seen many of those this year. He's still not, you know, playing, you know, great by any stretch of the imagination. Any metric you want to use may has been a rough month for the former LSU star, but he came up big in last night's game. Could this be something that could serve as a launching point for him to kind of finally get going?
1: You know, you sure would think so. Just because Alex Bregman is such a student of the game and he's such a, um, you know, he's he's all about his craft. He's all about hitting. And, you know, he's always in the lab trying to fix a swing, trying to fix a hitch. And I think sometimes it's a little bit mental with him because he's such a grinder. Um, I do recall seeing him, play at LSU, because we lived in Louisiana when he was a Tiger, and I don't think I've seen a harder-working Division One baseball player to this day, and so Alex Bregman is still Alex Bregman. He's still one of the best third basemen defensively, and he just needs a couple hits here or there, and last night's home run you know, looked really good, but this is what's interesting. His home run had an expected batting average of 180. I, I mean, I mean, yes, and then Jose Abreu's double had an expected batting average of 290. So those expected numbers are interesting, but it's good to see Bregman because before that home run, he got, he got on base earlier when they got a guy on first and third. They didn't end up doing anything, but he almost hit one out of the Crawford boxes. He almost had a multi-home run game last night.
3: Well, Brett, um, a stat that I came across this morning that I don't want to ruin your morning, but Jose Abreu's OPS is lower than Martín Maldonado's, and that includes last night's performance what? with the double. Um, so, where are we with Abreu's ability to to get things going? Maybe maybe last night was a sign, but but you also kind of bring up the uh, expected batting average stat to maybe suggest otherwise.
1: Yeah, I think Abreu will eventually get there. Um, you know what would have been the alternative? Yuli Gurriel is still not an everyday player where he is. So he wouldn't have really been giving you any more than what Abreu's giving you in spot starting. And that would mean more David Hensley in the lineup. And things might be even a little bit worse just because Hensley has not been hitting the ball. I think Abreu will come around. I think a lot of it might have to do with the mental side of his game because he's a very good player. He's a a proven um, MVP. He is – I mean, if you go back and look at his highlights through his career – and what he's done last night—getting that double with two outs, with two on, and scoring the two runs—that is the Jose Abreu that they signed. Uh, now, that doesn't—you know—that one double doesn't mean that he's all of a sudden worth the whole thirty-six million. But if you can get eighty or ninety percent of what he's been, and then keep building on that then I think, I think things will work out for the Astros this season. But he definitely does need to step things up.
3: How about the bullpen yesterday? It was kind of uh, the reverse of what we've seen early in the season. Framber actually struggled a bit in that fourth inning, but the bullpen goes five innings, a scoreless baseball, gives up just one hit. That had to be a, a sign of good things.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, the Astros, you know, not that the Astros fans don't forget, but I think sometimes we forget about how good this bullpen coaching staff is in Miller and Murphy. Just phenomenal. When Brent Strom left, he said, I'm leaving in the hands of these guys, and the reason why I'm leaving is because if I don't, someone's going to coach these two guys, and I want them to stay in Houston. And they're always looking at what it is they need to tweak. I mean, when Ryan Stanick goes in there, and has three strikeouts, induces five swings and misses in one inning, where Framber induced eleven swings and misses in four innings. That is that that's a huge outing. Montero did get help from his defense, but he didn't give up any runs. Martinez went in there, Maton, and you know Nerys was there to close the door. Nerys is a former closer, and whenever you don't have Ryan Presley available, you have Hector Nerys. More of those performances, the world will be in proper order in the American League West here in the next couple weeks.
2: We're talking with Brett Chancey of the Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Let's talk a little bit more about that bullpen because they had a record-setting type of season and postseason last year. Like They were able to do something that's never been done before. So when we saw them struggle, isn't that kind of expected, right, Brett, that that there would have some moments where they weren't as nearly historic as they were last year? Because typically you're not going to be able to replicate that.
1: Yeah, what they did last year was absolutely phenomenal. And I don't think we – well, I think we're now more realizing it as a fan base that I mean, you know Ryan Stanek. I think he lowered his ERA under five last night. He had a he had a record, a club record of um, 1.15 ERA for the season. No relief pitchers has thrown an ERA that low in their history. Excuse me. And so the Houston Astros were going to have bumps and bruises this year. One of the fall offs was going to have to probably be in the bullpen because, like you said. It's just hard to replicate because baseball is a game of of you know averages, and so if a hitter's zero for nine against a relief pitcher, at some point that hitter's going to get on base. At some point, those successes are going to become failures. But it's not about when you when you fail to meet last year's goals. It's what do you do when things start going wrong? And a performance like last night, I think, is more. Um, characteristic of the type of character this team has versus what we've seen when they faltered and lost series, even to bad teams.
2: Let me ask you this. When can we expect to see Jose Altuve up with the team, and why is the whole Michael Brantley situation so bizarre?
1: You know, the Astros have never been forthcoming about injuries. And I don't think they anticipated his shoulder to flare up. But if if you and I and people listening know anything about sports injuries, a shoulder injury a lot of times can be difficult. And I think it's from person to person how it affects someone. And at 36, I've even opined on on Astros. I am just going to go with the mindset that maybe – we're not going to see Michael Brantley at all this season. Now, Ooh. I am putting. Now, listen, I'm putting the cart before the horse. I would rather be pleasantly surprised than wildly disappointed. I'm going to expect his role to be. He's going to be a hitting coach. Let's get him healthy. They don't need to rush him back. But there's no need to to rush him back. Um, Altuve, they sent him down to Corpus. It wasn't a demotion. The, the Space Cowboys go on the road. The Hooks are here, are are at home, and it actually allows them to fly him out to Milwaukee after they are done with the Cubs series and the A's series if they want him out on the road. I think he out down there for a few games when the team wants to leave Minute Maid Park.
2: So why do you – yeah, you threw me off. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's okay, live right. radio. So <laughs> h- how do we, how do we go from him doing a rehab assignment, looking like he's coming back, to all of a sudden he now may not? Y- y- you, you think that he may not play at all this year?
1: Well, when they say he's out for an indefinite amount of time, um, that doesn't give me any pause. It would have been different if they said, you know what we brought him back too soon he had inflammation in the shoulder we think he probably needs some extended rehab and we're going to shoot for him coming back before the all-star break like i don't know i don't i don't understand wording or messaging coming from major league baseball teams i've never worked for one personally but it just seems like from the very onset we're like when he left, Dusty Baker was like, "Well, I don't know where he is." To, "Oh look, he's in the clubhouse." Oh look, he's there, cutting up with the guys. Yeah, but he he's out an in indefinite amount of time. Well, the only thing I can go off of is he hasn't hit the field, and with the Astros, so I just I just think this shoulder thing may be causing more issues. And if it is if it is causing more issues than they anticipated. They're going to have to slow walk this thing. I'm not saying he's out for the season. For me personally, I'm just setting it up so that if he does come back, I'll be really happy.
3: (laughs) Well, Brett, uh, J.P. France, a guy who shares a high school alma mater with my father and has been quite an impressive showing in his first couple starts of the season and of his career. Um, do you think this is a bit of a flash-in-the-pan situation, or do you think there's some real sustainable um, aspects to J.P.'s game?
1: Well, I think from the first game to the second game, he you know, he looked even better. He even got more. He actually got support in the second start um, more so than he did his first one. The way he grinded for six years in the minor leagues and the work he's put in where he's been player of the month, he's been player of the year in the minor league system, a player that I think really does have legitimate stuff, this is really the next step. And I see JP France being a very solid piece of the puzzle, um, especially with the injuries to Garcia and Arquiti, the unknown of when will Lance McCullers come back. Um, It's just one of those things where he looks like he's the real deal. I don't believe it's a, a flash in the pan. I know there's going to be, There's going to be a stash gang. I know he's got a lot of family coming in. Uh, Apparently they're all purchasing fake mustaches. There's going to be a section. And I'm hoping to get a word with some of his family for Locked On Astros um, Wednesday night at the game. You know, kind of have a little section. there. There's a fan trying to start a section called the French Quarter. So we got a little uh, Louisiana kick to the J.P. France Colt following already.
2: Brett, we'll get you out of here with this. You you know, I, I didn't think I was going to bring it up, but you opened up the door here with Brantley maybe going to be shelved for an extended period of time. We're seeing Drew Gilbert, outfielder, prospect, young man, being moved up, climbing the ladder in the minor league ranks. Could we see Gilbert play for the Astros this season?
1: You know, I don't know. I would, I would love that to be the case. If if you were to be able to come onto the scene, and you know if he got moved up to AAA, and make it to the big league club, I don't know that you will see him. Um, he moved into the top 100 for MLB prospects, MLB um, prospects. So that's a so that's a key thing. That's a, he I think moved up to 96, in the Astros only top 100 guy right now because Hunter Brown's obviously in the major leagues, but. Look, anything is possible this season. And if they need him to come up, I'm afraid that might require more injuries. I, I just think that they have a log jam because in front of him you have Dearden. In front of him you have Leon. You have some other guys that might get a shot first, but I wouldn't be mad at that necessarily. I think for sure next year's spring training he makes a bid for a spot. You also have Corey Jolts. So it all depends on what everybody's doing around him. Um, It's a possibility, but I don't know how likely it is for Drew Gilbert to play at Minute Maid Park this season.
2: Brett, I appreciate your time. We appreciate your time. And uh, it looks like the chances of Michael Brantley and Gilbert both playing the same amount of time at Minute Maid Park is about the same. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yeah. pr- appreciate your time, yeah. brother. Well, you know, I'm glad I could solve all
1: the world's problems in like fifteen minutes. But again, thank y'all for your appreciate it every time. And everybody in Southeast Louisiana, I really hope you check out our podcast live on Astros on YouTube. And just become an everyday or listen to us every day and we love to break things down. We have a we have a blast on the show. And um y'all have a good one and go Astros.
0: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
2: Oh, we have been so busy this morning. We haven't even got to the poll question of the day. NBA conference finals tips off tonight. Who do you believe is going to win their conference finals and move on to the NBA finals? Once again, in the West, you got the number one overall seed, the Denver Nuggets, taking on the Los Angeles Lakers, the old man and Anthony Davis, Mr. Consistency. You're going to interject I was in the gonna middle let of a thought. thought no, I got. was going to let
3: go you go. Uh, I'm I just, I, I'm confused because the NBA made it to me like every game in Denver had to start at 10 o'clock the first three rounds of the playoffs. But now all of a sudden it's Western Conference Finals and we're starting a game at 730 uh, at a normal time for human beings to watch sports. So I just, I don't know, I thought they had to start at 10 o'clock when they were in Denver, but no, now they don't. No, no. So. they
2: don't have to, Not, not when they're playing the Los Angeles Lakers. And well, but that most, would be
3: more reason for it
2: to start later because the Lakers are West
3: Coast team, but
2: Yeah, but you get seven thirty, you get the premier prime time time slot.
3: Yeah, but but that's not how it's been the whole playoffs. Is I understand that. Yeah. Just I, it's I, funny I, how I, that I,
2: works. I understand how that works. <laughs> I'm telling you, yeah, though yeah, which which team do they want to feature I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Lakers Heat. Now, once again, all four teams that are left standing, by the way are the same four teams that played in the conference finals in the bubble. Dan and Orlando. It was Nuggets, Lakers, if you remember, in the West. And it was Heat, Celtics. And then we had the NBA finals in the bubble. Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat taking on LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Lakers, of course, won. And LeBron won his uh, a third championship or a championship with his third different team so who's it going to be we saw what happened in the celtics 76 ers series boston has played with his food in the first two rounds they advanced there in the eastern conference finals and the miami heat are undermanned and jimmy's got an ankle injury they don't have two of their key players and they haven't had them for most of the postseason is that going to matter Do do the Heat even have a chance in this series? Many people don't think so. Many people don't think so. But that kind of plays into Miami's mindset. They definitely have a chance. Yeah,
3: yeah. (laughs) First of all, Boston's about as as consistent as as Jose Abreu's power. Actually, (laughs) No, they're, they're a little more consistent than that. Let me change for that. But uh, they're not consistent is my point. No. And so that combined with how well Jimmy Butler can play and, and how well he has gotten the peripheral guys who, again, were a lot of them weren't even major role players throughout some of the season. Him they've and just,
2: Bam have such good chemistry together too, by the way.
3: And Bam was, was not a factor for a long time either. and
2: they've, they've gotten more out of him in the postseason. Sometimes guys just click, right? They just do. Sometimes they just click. And you're seeing that. So that's our poll question of the day. Who wins each conference finals in the NBA? Right now, 72% of you say it's going to be a Nuggets-Celtics NBA finals. 14% each say Lakers-Celtics or Nuggets-Heat. No votes for Lakers-Heat. No votes for the bubble finals rematch. Ton on the Twitter says, so is LeBron still being pissy about the play-in, asking for a friend? Nuggets and Celtics in the finals. Finals, Celtics in six. JPK, the OD, says this is the year the Nugs finally get it done. Ralph says, I'll drop this nugget. There's an NBA championship at the end of the rainbow. Luck of the Irish. Celtics over Denver in six. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Woo! And we'll keep we'll continue continue to share them throughout today's show. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Reynolds to the show. Reynolds, good morning. What's on your mind, bud? Good morning, good morning. How y'all doing?
8: I'm you doing great, bud. See, I've been I've been noticing with the Saints, they uh they signed another wide receiver. And I'm just wondering, I mean, I, I like that they're doing it because in the past years that they've been depleted on on the wide receiver side. Uh but had y'all talked about the new one that they just signed, and if the, the new guy from Wake Forest, that the rookie, if he may have a chance to make the team, I, I'm just I'm just seeing that they kind of trying to stack up what they have at wide receiver uh, a little bit more. Uh, I guess they're they're planning that you know Michael Thomas is still a question mark, uh, but I like
1: what they're doing.
2: Uh, we were going to get to Saints after the timeout, but I appreciate the phone call, Randall. I'll answer your question, brother. Thank you so much. Enjoy your All day, right, buddy. Thanks. Look, James Washington is a low-risk deal, right? He Coming out of college, he was a guy that a lot of people were high on. He's just never been healthy, right? He's a veteran guy who's never been healthy and has never been a dominant wide receiver. But if you're signing a guy in the month of May, It's simply a guy to come in to compete for a spotting camp. That's what you're doing here, right? And if he works out, great. Because here's the deal, Dawson. There's no guarantee that Michael Thomas is going to be healthy. None. None. He has not been healthy in four years. So you'd like him to be healthy. You hope he's healthy. You hope he's going to ball out like he did before. That's great. That's great. You can hope for all those things. But you know what you got in Chris Olave. You believe that you have something in... Rashid Shahid. Thank you. Okay, but still need more consistency. Still need to see that continue to develop. You're beefing up your tight end spot by bringing in Foster Morrow with Jawan Johnson. So you have two guys that are reliable pass catchers there. You bring in a running back that can also catch the ball out of the backfield in, in, in Williams from Detroit. So... Getting the guy from the Raiders like you did to add depth is great. I'm high on A.T. Perry. So are you. But he's going to be a rookie. So bringing in someone like James Washington, people are like, well, what if he stays healthy? That's just another body. And we keep forgetting about Traquan Smith because, well, it's easy to forget about Traquan. He run blocks really well. Great. Let's keep him on the roster as a pass catcher. But I digress. You can't have enough guys. Like, you're gearing up for training camp. I want the Saints to have a dozen wide receivers out there and see who can last and he who can be healthy and who can contribute to the team. If I'm a Saints fan, good. Keep bringing in more guys. That's a good thing. You're, you're not buy, you're not quite buying lottery tickets, but you're throwing
3: darts at the board from a bit pretty far distance. I would say, like that's the analogy I would use. Correct. James Washington. Brian Edwards, by the way, former Raider that you brought in. Correct. Uh, A.T. Perry's a six-round pick. I think there's more promise in him than the others, but he's another one as well. I mean, that's three guys there, and again, if one of them works out, then you're in much better shape than you were before.
2: So You're hedging your bets is what you're doing if right. you the Saints. So, yeah. You're going, okay, we're not going to go through this again And by having to rely on guys like, you know. Little Jordan Humphrey. Well, no, and, and look, I was going to say too, like it, this is a different approach,
3: definitely a different approach from Sean Payton, who brought Brandon Coleman back every year and brought <laughs> Little Jordan Humphrey back and brought you know, and brought Keith Kirkwood back every year. Oh, like he the, liked guys the, he was the familiar rookie with.
2: Camp and the training camp stars that never yeah, made and, and a difference. And maybe
3: look, maybe some of those had to do with Drew Brees' level of comfort with those guys and Sean Payton's level of comfort with those guys. But regardless, those two guys aren't in the building anymore, and we're seeing a different approach, and they're bringing in. You know, also what it seems to look like from the outside is they're bringing in more talented guys that have maybe more upside, as opposed to Sean Payton sometimes was in the guys that maybe weren't as talented but were more reliable, maybe more, you know, practice-type players. So I think it's a shift in in, in philosophy at that point. And position. they
2: tried this. Don't forget, they tried this last year. Remember, Michael Thomas was supposed to come back healthy last year. They bring in Jarvis Landry as insurance. Well, guess what? Thomas got injured, and so did Landry. Right? So... The Saints know we got a great young wide receiver in Chris Olave. Great young wide out in Chris Olave. What are we going to do? You're going to keep bringing in more guys. It can't hurt your team. It can only help your team. Appreciate the phone call from Reynold. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to talk more about the Saints. Rookie minicamp wrapped up. We'll hear from Dennis Allen. That's next right here on The Game. Welcome back to RP3 and Company right here on The Game. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parch Third, better known as RP3. Of course, we are broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. I'm joined by the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserloh. I have a question for you. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. So I need you to be perfectly honest and give me a hundred percent truth on this. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Yeah. Alright, because I'm putting you on the spot. Putting you on the spot. Do you believe? As someone who is healthy and as well-educated as you are, as we know, you have two degrees.
3: Where are we going here? <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Do you believe I should put myself through another 5K situation? Yes. The daughter wants to do it. Yes. She has now got the 5K bug, and she'd like to do another one. Here's my problem, d Mm-hmm. You're a smart, educated, young, healthy man. So I, I turn to you. It, it's about to get really, really hot. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> so like yesterday, we go for a family walk. My wife's like, hey, let's go for a family walk. So great. Yeah, They came back from the store. So we all went for a family walk. Our daughter rode her bike. We went around our neighborhood. It was not pleasant outside. So here's my dilemma. The little one. HP1 Hattie Elise Parch wants to do another 5K. She wants to gear up for. She wants to do it with her dad, right? I want to continue being healthy and continue losing weight. Dilo, here's the problem. We're in the middle of May in Southwest Louisiana. What do I do? Well.
3: There's levels to it. What time does the 5K start? Have you looked in that far, or is there? Is this still the searching phase? For the... We're still the searching phase. I mean, if you find one, I'd like to one, do
2: one in June,
3: if possible. Get one at like seven seven o'clock. We started at eight, right? We did, we did. Now it was breezy and cool. Now that was partly just luck and partly the you know the day that it was at. And 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 again, starting at eight. If you start at seven, though, because it's now the summer, you know, days get longer, sun comes out a little earlier. So you want to give yourself another hour. So I'd say you want to start one early. I mean, if you can find one that starts at six thirty, that's even better. I don't know how you are about getting up early, although I do know because you do it every day. Um, so that's where I would right. really lean, okay? Because you can get out there and really get it, get it, get it in before the sun's really taking a beating on you. That would be my approach. That's why I love. And people discuss this sometimes. I love a 6.15, 6.30 tea time. And some people are like, oh, oh. now, I mean, I get it. I'm a morning producer, game changer. So I'm used now, to, to getting up early. But. Now,
2: my daughter doesn't necessarily love getting up early. That said, I could bribe her to get up early for one of these early morning 5Ks you speak of. She loves going to Claire's. She spent all of her allowance money yesterday buying a plethora of stuff, which she showed me. Is that 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 store in the mall? Yes. I think I'm familiar with Yes. I think I know what you're talking about. Yes. So she got like lip balm and all this other stuff. So maybe, maybe I'll say we can sign up for another 5K, but we got to do one that's early in the morning. That way daddy doesn't, you know, pass out from heat exhaustion. And if you agree to wake up early, I'll take you to Claire's to get more stuff. Is that my play? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I and, and, and you know her better than I do. I didn't even know you had to go
3: to Claire's route. I think you first of all. I think you present it first, just early morning, because it's the reward is her getting to do the five k. Then you bring Claire's in if there's pushback, oh. but don't show your
2: cards right away. Thank you know you. what I mean? Thank you. There we go. Man, we're we're solving my, my life issues right here live on the radio. Let's talk a little New Orleans Saints football. Mini camp has come and gone. Look, you don't really know anything from mini-rookie camp, right? You just don't. It's just seeing them in shoulder pads and in jersey. They they get to know a little bit more about the team facility. You really don't start knowing about these guys until actual training camp. But they do get to go out there, work out with the team a little bit. Coaches get to see what they have early on. It's kind of a light scrimmage, more like walkthroughs and some – some basic drills. It's not what you see in training camp, which, by the way, is always pleasantly and cool down in Metairie leading up to the football season. That is not. I've been to training camp twice, once as a member of media, once as a fan. Thankfully, the year I went as a fan, they installed those bleachers with the fans.
3: Yeah, so I I, I never attended uh, training camp. I maybe went to practice when I was really young, but I haven't attended that. But I uh, I was a parking attendant for the now defunct New Orleans Baby Cakes minor league baseball organization, and we used to share a parking lot. So uh, I, on airline, bud. Yeah, I was standing out there with the safety vest in the 95 degrees, directing people to their parking <laughs> spots not, for a, for 11:10 a.m. first pitch kids <laughs> day at the ballpark. So I know what I know what you're talking about. Not optimal the heat out there. Not
2: not 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 optimal at all. But look. There are benefits of having the rookie mini camp, and Dennis Allen entering his second year at the helm of the New Orleans Saints talked about that a few days ago. About what's the purpose for him of having rookie mini camp?
7: Uh, look, uh, the the primary thing right now is just get base fundamentals and 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 just a basic uh, knowledge of our scheme and what we're doing. Um, and then a lot of the a lot of the work that we're doing in this in this rookie minicamp is is uh, skill development, technique oriented. Uh, there's there's you know we, we really basically had about eight plays a seven on seven about eight plays a team. So it's not really a, a, a team deal as much as it is. We got a lot of meetings, uh, get them kind of accustomed to what it's like being in an NFL uh, organization and uh, and and really get get. A lot of work on you know fundamentals and technique.
2: So that it is. Yeah, look, you can get an idea, especially about the young guys, what they struggle with. It can become pretty apparent just in me, I mean, rookie camp. Okay, this guy needs to work on this. Right? He doesn't understand, you know, how to read the defense doing this, or he doesn't understand how to do really bump and run coverage, or, or whatever it might be. Right. You get an early idea of what these guys need to develop and work on, and your coaches can do that with them in between that and training camp. You know, Reynolds called about, you know, adding James Washington like they did. Well, here's the thing even though they may have had a draft class and had free agency where they addressed some needs, they can still obviously add to the roster. They've done so in the last week, right? They brought in Foster Morrow. Now they've brought in James Washington. And Dennis Allen said, "Look, we can still continue to add players during this process."
7: Yeah, I think there's, I think there's still some some spots that we can add some players to 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 help our football team, um, and we're gonna we're gonna constantly be evaluating that to see what we can do to to uh, to make us better. But yet at the same time. Feel pretty good about where we're at. I don't see any real huge, significant holes in our roster. Um, you know, probably there's some there's some depth things that that I'd like to make sure that we shore up, um, and we'll 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 keep looking at that. We got a lot of time before we start training camp, so um, you know, it's always a constant evaluation.
2: Foster Morrow obviously signed the deal. Now, look, he was dealing with a cancer diagnosis, and initial reports were well this guy may not even play football this year but now all the reports are changing that it looks like he's going to be good to go the former Jesuit Blue Jay LSU captain now New Orleans Saints tied in and Dennis Allen gave his thoughts on that addition and being able to sign him like they did
7: well look we we uh, only had him here for you know a couple of days I like the addition like the person like the player he's got some versatility he can play both in line and in a move position. Uh, he's smart, he's tough. You know, he's a lot of the characteristics that we look for in in, uh, in Saints players. So uh, I think he'll be a good addition. I like the fact that, you know, Derek has some familiarity with him.
2: And finally, Michael Thomas. Redid the deal. It's only a one year deal. Team friendly deal. So they get that big, huge contract off the books. He hasn't been healthy in three plus years. Where do we stand with him in his recovery, and is he going to be good to go? And this is what DA said.
7: Yeah, so he's he's still recovering. Um, there was some hardware in his foot that they took out. Um, I guess it's probably been you know week week and a half ago. Um, we feel good about where where he's at in terms of his recovery and. Um, you know, when we get him out here, we expect that we're going to get him out here and and, and get the player that we've had in the past.
2: So, look, it's begun. Free agency draft, done. Mini-rookie camp. Boom. Next will be training camp, OTAs and training camp. So, should be a lot of excitement, especially for the NFC South, because it's wide open. It's right there for the Saints to take. Will they take it? We'll have to wait and see we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number two next right here on The Game.
0: This is RP3 and company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to The Game's YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from The Game. One oh three seven Lafayette and one oh four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: You know, so much going on in the world of sports, D.Lo. So much. NBA conference finals are going on, NCAA regionals for softball, college baseball seasons winding down with the regular season. We have recruiting going on, obviously, the USFL. So much more. Man, so much going on. Man, if only we had something to talk about. You know, if only there was something exciting to talk about going on around here. Well, there might be. <laughs> Tell us more. <laughs> Yes! Many of you already know, but we made the announcement official. You can read all about it on our website at 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. The game is changing, and it's exciting, and man, it's a big change. We are officially going to become an ESPN affiliate on June 1st. The twenty-six, we will become ESPN 1037 Lafayette and ESPN 1041 Lake Charles. We're going to become the official affiliate for the four-letter network in southwest Louisiana, stretching from Lobdell all the way over to the Texas state line. In addition to that, which means you're going to be able to hear the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, National Championship Games for football, the NFL Draft NBA Finals, and so much more. We also are excited to tell you about a new lineup change as well. So, we're going to have a new morning show. Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max Kellerman. Kevin Foote and Footnotes will still be on from 9 to 11. That will be our leadoff for our local slate of shows. Of course, that also features Dolson Izerlowe. Then we have a new midday show that's going to debut... RP3 D Low in Mesh. That's right. Dawson and yours truly and James, three man show that will be middays from 11 to 1. Then it will be the Jordy Holberg show from 1 to 3 at its new time. And then we're proud to announce that the LAB award winning host of After Further Review, Matt Moscona, will be joining us as well going to be broadcast from three to six and in addition to that we got our guy Matt Miguez I know what you're saying hey what is he going to do he's going to be our new content creator social media YouTube going to events reporting creating social Podcasts media stuff as well broadcasting as well so the game is changing it's big it's my man it is out of sight what we're going to be doing we're thrilled about doing it once again june 26 will be the new station when we officially become an espn affiliate fired up for it let's,
3: let's go after it are you ready
2: oh yeah let's go absolutely hour number two is done hour number three coming up jim gozzolo from the lake charles american press will join us to talk all things mcneese that's next right here on the game
4: oh yeah <laughs>
1: Everything, everything,
0: everything, gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Here is producer Dawson Iserlo and your big ball, beautiful host Raymond Parts the better known as RP Three.
2: Eight oh three has arrived on this Tuesday edition of RP Three and Company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts Third. Of course, I'm joined inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Two Degrees himself, Dawson, eyes are low. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. It's about those NBA playoffs. Once again, conference finals have arrived. What are we going to have? Once again, we have the same four teams we did back in the bubble, which is funny to me when everyone said the bubble didn't count and those teams were flukes for being in the bubble championship Yet, a couple years later, those same teams are here with a chance to win a championship. Who do you like? Lakers Heat, that would be a bubble championship rematch. Nuggets Heat, Lakers Celtics, or Nuggets and Celtics? Right now, overwhelmingly, you guys are going chalk. Nuggets, Celtics. That typically doesn't happen. They're not in these playoffs. Uh Denver doesn't really play all that great defense, and Boston has played with its food for the better part of two months. Now, they should advance, but if these playoffs, as Dawson just alluded to, have taught us anything, is that expect the unexpected here, because these playoffs have not gone the way we thought they would. Salty Steve says Foot wants the Lakers. Denver has no D, so that's possible. Miami has good D, and Celtics have no D. If defense wins championships, it will be LA and Miami, the bubble rematch. Right now, 65% of you say Nuggets, Celtics, 16% each for Nuggets, Heat, Lakers, Celtics, and only 3% for Lakers, Heat. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well on Facebook and Twitter. But also, we'll dive into it with our guy, Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, coming up half an hour from right now. But at this moment, it's time to bring on our next guest. He's the award-winning columnist reporter for the Lake Charles American Press that covers the McNeese Cowboys. He's also the host of Poke Nation and the host of the McNeese Coaches Show, which you can hear every Wednesday right here on the game. It's our good friend, Jimmy G from L.C., Jim Gazzolo, the great one. Good morning, Bud. How are you?
8: I'm fine, Raymond. Love to hear your breakdown on how the NBA doesn't want Lakers Celtics. <laughs> That's, <exactly laughs> <what they want. laughs> That's exactly
2: what they want. That's exactly what they want. It's exactly what they've wanted since nineteen seventy. Well, since 1980. Yeah, there we go. Even 1981. back. 1981. Yeah. Even go further back than that. All right, bud. Let's dive right in. McNeese softball wins the conference tournament in dramatic fashion. Let's start there. It comes down to a walk-off home run at their own ballpark to win the game and to win the tournament and punch their ticket to the NCAA regionals. Let me ask you this. If they wouldn't have won that game, if something would have happened in extras and they would have lost it, would they have still gone into an NCAA regional, yes or no?
8: I think so. Uh, they were 38th in the country. I've been told by some people that in the know that, uh, they were probably in either way. They would have been a four seat going in, not a three seat and probably at LSU.
2: They win it in dramatic fashion to win the conference tournament and go ahead and get that three seed. And the selection committee says, Hey, guess what? McNeese. Um, We're trying to make these regional sites as regional as possible. Go ahead and pack your bags. After going to Evanston last year, we're going to send you to Seattle, Washington. (laughs) uh, Look, I like their chances to even win that regional, so don't get me wrong. We'll dive into that. But, man, you you win as many games as they do. You're a top 40, top 45 ranked team in the country, and you get shipped all the way out to essentially uh, eastern Russia.
8: Wow um I like it I, I think it's better than it used to be where we're just gonna throw you against the same teams you played before uh, even though they have played Washington ironically but I I, I like the fact that it, it makes it seem better because they've never played there it's kind of a reward um, so I, I actually think it's uh I think it's a good thing I, I, I well did you really want to see a regional with LSU, UL, and McNeese?
2: No, but there's other... Jim, Jim, this hold on. I'm getting told right now. Breaking news coming in. There's other regional sites than Baton Rouge and Seattle. Were you aware of this? Were you aware of this?
8: Yeah, I think it would have been nice if they sent them to Tennessee. Uh,
2: Or Alabama or Texas. I
8: said it all along. If, If the NCAA really had a personality and a sense of humor, they'd send them to Oklahoma State in the Jim Poulard Regional.
2: Yes. So, look, we had Coach <laughs> Landrino on yesterday. It didn't bother him at all, right? And after going to Evanston and beating Notre Dame not once but twice last year, I think this team is equipped to be able to handle these long road trips. I just think it's kind of a buzzkill for fans because you're not really able to go and you, you're not going to have anybody in the stands cheering you on, which it, it, it is a bit of a downer. But... This team seems to be built for this. How much is last year's trip to Evanston plays a huge advantage for this team this time around as they go out to Seattle?
8: I think it's just a a big
2: stepping stone for them.
8: I think what they learned last year was that there's other softball around and it's nice to play different and that actually – they match up okay against Northern teams. They match up okay against other regions of play and styles of play. And I think that's uh, kind of the thing they learned was they can play against teams from other areas. It's not just they have a style for this region. Uh, So I I think they enjoyed it too. Uh, When you talk to the girls that played it last year, they much more enjoyed the fact that they were staying in a different city Something new for them, kind of a learning experience. And I told them last year, and they followed my traditions: Giordano's pizza. That was the key, best pizza in Chicago. Now I can't help you with the Seattle food.
2: So <laughs> well, I took your advice as well when I went to Chicago last year,
8: and it was a winner. Was it? It, not?
2: it was. It was amazing.
3: Maybe they'll have to run on Starbucks coffee out in Seattle. But my that next question. <laughs> my next question is they they're playing a team or they're in a regional with the team that they've beaten before the host of the regional. So how much yeah. does that play in? Does that give a confidence or, you know, you can take the Kevin foot approach and say it's a bad thing. Cause that means Washington's not going to see him sneaking up on them.
8: I agree with both statements. Uh, I think it gives McNeese confidence. I think it understands that they can win the game. They've done it before. They're not going to be in awe of it, but I also think in Washington, look at it and say, you were not, they've got their attention. Uh, I, I, think it, I think it works for each team in that way, which makes it kind of interesting. I also think it's interesting they're going to face the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year in the first round. and They played a Big Ten school last year twice and, and went to Big Ten country. So I think they're going to be pretty comfortable in it now. Will they win? Um, I think it's a tougher regional. Than people think like, the pitching is going to dominate in that regional. Um, but I think they're pretty comfortable going out there.
3: Well, speaking of that pitching, how, how do you expect Coach Landrino to manage the pitching staff in a situation like this with a regional? I guess we saw a little bit of how he would like to do it in tournament play in the Southland Tournament. Do you think he'll take the same approach in a regional?
8: Yeah, I think, uh, I think he'll probably start Whitney Tate because I, I think she's been the more consistent over the year. Um, but I think he'll have Ashley Valero ready to go, uh, just like he did in the tournament. In the championship game, they combine to go eight innings of, of shutout ball. Um, the difference with McNeese, and this is this is the difference with them, and always been the issue when they go to regionals, they don't have a pitcher that's going to go out and strike out fifteen. They have to make plays behind them, and their defense has been very good this year. Their defense won them uh, as much as anything. Their defense won them the game on Saturday. The 1 nothing game because they made outstanding plays in the outfield and second base. They got the lead runner three times uh, on base running mistakes. So, and they kept, they made enough defensive plays to keep doubles to singles in the outfield. So that's really what their thing is. They're not going to go out, and, and like I said, they're not going to go out and strike out 15 16, but they are able to keep the ball in the ballpark and their defense makes plays.
2: We're talking with Jim Gazzolo of the late Charles American Press. He's also the host of the McNeese Coaches Show, which you can listen to Wednesday nights right here on the game. All right, let's shift gears to baseball. Disappointing. why? Because I want to. Um, okay. <laughs> All right. Is, is, so th- there we go because they're still playing and they're trying to gear up for a conference tournament. And, you know, I, I just, you know, th- there we go. Uh, I got you. Uh, there we go. Make sure to tune in to the McNeese Coaches Show where uh, Jim Gozolo is going to ignore baseball. So... <laughs> like, <laughs> please, tune in. So, uh, disappointing result. Uh, they had a chance to win that series. Uh, they didn't. They dropped two of three at Northwestern State. They don't get to play another conference series to wrap up the regular season. Mm-hmm. They're going to be at LSU tonight and then at home for a three-game set against Miami of Ohio in non-conference action. Uh, where does this team stand heading into the final week of four non-conference games
8: um they have to sit back and watch they're 12 and 12 they're sixth in the conference they are in the tournament but they may have to play in the Tuesday play in game they have to prepare and run their pitching this week as if they're in that game as uh, Justin Hill told me yesterday you definitely want have to you definitely have to plan to be in the game you definitely don't want to be in the game. You don't want to throw Grant Rogers in a one and done just to get in. You need Grant Rogers if you're going to make a tournament run. That being said, they don't control what they can do. They have to sit back and watch. In fact, they won't even be playing when this is being decided because they end their, their series with Miami of Ohio on Friday. So what has to happen is simply this two of the three things have to happen in this scenario. UNO, or Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, have to lose two of three games in their series. They're both playing the one and two teams in the conference. Nichols for UNO, um, incarnate word for Corpus Christi. And, or, Lamar has to lose, can only win, Lamar has to lose one of three. They can't sweep over Houston Christian. All three could should happen because this conference has been um, the conference has been so that nobody's been sweeping. Somebody's always been losing. So having all these happen is possibility. McNeese could finish fourth or they could finish seventh. They have no control over what they do, and that I think is a little frustrating for them. But they own the tiebreaker for all three teams trying to chase them.
2: So what does that mean for this week in particular for Rodgers? If they're going to try to set it up that they have to play next Tuesday, how's that yeah. going to affect their approach with tonight's game against LSU and then the three-game set against Miami of Ohio?
8: Well, I've been, I've been told that uh, tonight will be a bullpen game starting with Derek Curry. Okay. I think it'll be a bullpen game for LSU. If it's a bullpen game for both teams, And what I've seen from the bullpen of both teams, not great. We're going to be, we're going to be, we may have forty runs scored. Uh, (laughs) uh, Both Achilles heels to the teams are the bullpens. So then comes a little different. Um, I don't. They're going to do a bullpen game or whoever's available on Wednesday. Their plan is to go three or four innings with Rogers on Wednesday night or on Thursday. What am I? Where am I? I? No, Wednesday night they're going to go Rodgers and Ty Abraham and piggyback them and maybe Rodgers, Ty Abraham and uh, I forget who it is. Thursday um, I believe they're going to throw Burrell Jones one of the days Um, and then Thursday they're likely to throw Bryson Hudgens for five innings, try to stretch him out to five innings and then Friday night would be Everybody gets an inning, so everybody's ready on Tuesday. But it's going to be a hodgepodge of a lot of people.
3: Well, speaking of a hodgepodge of a lot of people, we'll get you out with this one, Jim. Uh, Will Wade is kind of re- redesigning this roster in his image, and he's continuing to add more and more players. What can you tell us about the most recent signings?
8: Um, he's really big on the point guard, Brown. Uh, T. John Brown from uh, Texas, he's a freshman. He loves his defense. Um, he also is huge on the kid from Bakersfield who's six eight, two thirty, 30 and all big West honorable mention guy who averaged 13 points a game. I think he really likes his roster as it is, but he did tell me yesterday, even though he's at 13 scholarships, don't be surprised if we tweak some things over the summer. Um, so he may, if he could get another big in somehow, uh, I think he would do it, but I, I think I, it's the best. Roster I've seen in the Southland Conference since the Stephen F. Austin uh, days. And what he really liked about T. John Brown is it came down to Corpus Christi and McNeese. And he chose McNeese.
2: Brother, we always choose you to come on to talk all things McNeese. Hey, I got one other little tidbit for you today, Raymond. I love extra Uh, unexpected tidbits.
8: Uh, expect today, McNeese, today or maybe tomorrow, McNeese to announce the signing of a 6'3", 245-pound tight end out of Colorado State transfer portal.
2: Oh, this man gives us everything. Softball, baseball, basketball, and football. We didn't even ask for the football. He just gave it to us. Brother, thank you for your time. Enjoy the McNeese Coaches Show this week, my friend. I will. I will.
0: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language.
2: You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukuraru? Oof. And I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night. (laughs) Me fail
0: English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Wordsmith, producer extraordinaire, child psychologist, and baby cakes parking lot attendant. Is there anything the man can't do? That's from our guy Ralph concerning you, Mister D'Lo.
3: Um, I would I would certainly subtract the, the uh, child psychologist and go with advice <laughs> giver. Um, and as I was once taught, you have to end your advice with. But I really don't know. So that in case if it goes wrong, they can't blame you. So uh, like that's that. what I would say.
2: Hey, protect yourself. Hey, I, I, but I don't know if it'll work for you. It, but is there anything you can do? Is there, There's Is there plenty. something that There's we plenty. don't There's... know? Look, you're healthy. You are great on the mic. Uh, you're an that. extraordinary Thanks. producer. Um, you have two degrees. Uh, you have immense knowledge you were a baby cakes parking attendant. Uh, you are a walking thesaurus. Yeah, that one's that uh, that parking attendant. That's going to go at the top. Of the I mean, that that that. I mean, for me, that that's, that's probably top five, bordering you know, on actually, top three.
3: I actually filled in a couple of times too, uh, and worked the uh, the inflatable uh, with the radar machine, where you threw the ball and and you got your yeah. speed, your pitch speed. That was fun. I actually no, and it's actually funny. And a friend of mine, we both we both had the same summer job at that point. Uh, we would throw, like, when we were in charge of working it, look, I'll be honest with you, nobody went to those games. That's part of the reason they're not there anymore. Uh, so I would throw, like, full bullpens. Um, I was still a high school pitcher at the time. I would literally throw full bullpens uh, while I was working the the radar machine for the kids who could pay three bucks to see how fast they threw.
2: In addition, you also worked at the Zurich Classic.
3: Uh, no, I worked at the golf course. CBC, oh, you worked Louisiana. on the golf course. Yes. I
2: mean, this this man does it all. It does it all?
3: I mean, we could go through your resume. I'm sure you've done a
2: lot. Oh, uh, I've, just... I, I, I've done a lot of failure. <laughs> no, no, not you. <laughs> huh. uh, I've done a lot. Someone asked me the other day. They're like, "Hey, you know, I be, things are changing, and 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 everything like that." So, someone asked me about the change that we're going through, us becoming uh, an ESPN affiliate next month. And I was like, "Yeah, man." I said, "But but change is good." I says, "You can't be the same because if I look back at how I was." say 20 years ago well I was uh you know wearing Jinko jeans and you know backwards ball caps and listening to Limp Biscuit. I'm not that guy anymore <laughs> there's a lot of coaches that'll tell you you don't saying. get you don't stay the same you either get worse or better I don't know
3: I kind of stay the same on some things uh, my golf game's been about the same for about three years now but
2: um. Yeah.
3: No. We gotta. We gotta be moving forward. But
2: are you dedicating the time to get better at your golf game?
3: Uh. There was a time when I worked at the course. I got to play a lot that summer. I got better that that summer. Um. Now I'm getting back into it. I'm getting back there into it. There we go. So, there we go. But yeah, I had no, not not playing with any consistency.
2: And look, I've already told you what we need to do about your confidence on the course. Yeah. We simply, you and I go out, play a round together, and by the end of it, which, by the way, it's going to take forever because of how I play the game. And not because I try to play it slow, but because it's never in the fairway. At the end of that round, you're going to be like, damn, I'm actually pretty good at this. Because (laughs) Raymond is awful. No, yeah.
3: Um, It's always funny, too, when you get out on the tee box and you're playing with a couple of guys and you go, can everybody keep an eye on this one? Um, so that we can maybe have a better chance of finding it when I'm trying to dig it out
2: of the rough. I lose at least half a dozen balls every to- every round of golf. And speaking of which, PGA Championship is this week, and the rough looks thick. Oh, I know. Ooh. And, uh, and look, I'm here for the PGA Championship deciding to try to make things a little bit more difficult. They're trying to go with the U.S. Open approach. Yeah, I like it. Well, I like, I like it. it as well because, look, The PGA Championship doesn't get the love that the other majors do. I would argue that the Players' Championship is held in higher regard than the PGA is. You could make that argument because the problem is the Masters has its own course. The U.S. Open is known for being the most difficult tournament on the history, uh, on the face of the planet, in the history of mankind. The British Open or I call the Open Championship, is the birthplace of golf, and you have the historic venues. The PGA Championship doesn't have any of those things, and the Players' Championship is known because of the golf course it's on. So it's it's the unofficial fifth major, if you will. So I like the fact that the PGA Championship is trying to do some things. I like the fact that it's now number two. First of all, I think that's great. When they made the switch a few years ago, instead of it being the fourth one, it switches to number two. I love yeah. that. No, and, and I love the fact that they're trying to make it more difficult. Well, and one of the aspects of the PGA Championship, which it's not
3: even something I really knew before I was, you know, deeper into following golf as, as a professional sport, is that uh, PGA professionals from around the world, which, quick clarification, I know it confused me for a long time, uh, a PGA professional is somebody who's certified to teach golf and usually head pros at courses and things like that, as opposed to a uh, PGA Tour professional who's obviously a professional golfer. So just a little distinction there. But uh, the the PGA um, Professional Championship was held a few weeks ago, which is uh, where all the PGA head pros and stuff, PGA guys from around the the world, um, compete in a tournament. And the top 20 earn a spot in the PGA Championship. So you're going to have a lot of guys that their regular day jobs are keeping up the golf courses, like the one that I worked at, or being the head pro at golf courses, teaching lessons, things like that. And they're all going to tee it up in a major championship. So that's very cool. And there's always – you'll see uh, throughout the broadcast some separate leaderboards that are kind of showing how those guys are doing. And, uh, I mean, some of them can really, really play, obviously. Like, some of them are very talented golfers. um, And I think that's cool to follow. It's kind of like you follow the amateurs at some of the other majors. And um, so that'll be something to keep an eye on, see if any
2: of them can make the cut or make some noise. There you go. we got to take a timeout. When we return, though, here in RP3 and Company, we'll – Do a deeper dive into the NBA playoffs. The conference finals are now set. They'll tip off tonight with Ali Cassell of the Bird Rights. He joins us live next, right here on The Game.
0: This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: The bubble 2.0, the sequel has arrived because the same four teams that were playing in the conference finals a few years ago in the bubble down in Orlando, guess what? They're playing in the conference finals yet again. And to break it down for us, to give us his insight into all things conference finals, and we'll get his thoughts on the John Morant situation, is our friend, The editor in chief of the Bird Rights, Ollie Cassell, joins us now. Ollie, good morning to you, bud. How are you, my friend?
9: Good morning. And it sounds like bubble 2.0. Are you saying the Lakers are going to win?
2: (laughs) You know what? I kind of like their chances. I'm just, I'm not, I, I, this is a weird team and it's a weird year. And there should be no reason why this team is where it's at. Yet, even though they haven't played their best basketball. Here they are in the conference finals. Let's start with the Lakers. How have they done it, Ollie?
9: Well, tell you what, Anthony Davis has been healthy, and he's looked like the Anthony Davis probably since since the bubble. He hasn't looked this strong on both ends of the court. Now, I know his shooting, right, his outside shooting hasn't been the same, but, boy, I don't think there's been a bigger single deterrent on defense than Anthony Davis. You know, he can stay with the Steph Currys of the world, or he can bang with the bigs. So I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do right against Nikola Jokic. But as far as the rest of the Lakers, yeah, LeBron James has picked his moments. And tell you what, he's had every reason to do it because he's had so much help. Austin Reeves, he keeps amazing me game after game. I don't know where the Lakers found him, but he's a legitimate guy. He, He can score from all three levels, make a play for you, allows LeBron to sit on the weak side taking a breather or two. And then they've got just a bunch of guys that seem to step up taking turns stepping up every single game right whether it's D'Angelo Russell one game Lonnie Walker another and just go up and down that roster it seems like they've always got at least three or four players playing well in this postseason
2: they're playing what's going to be the key in this series besides the AD Jokic matchup what's the other big kind of matchup in this series
9: well, I think just from a standpoint for the Lakers' strategy, they've got to continue to get out and score in transition. They beat up on on a smaller Golden State Warrior team, right? But I'm curious what they'll be able to do against a bigger Denver Nuggets team that kind of prides itself on playing some, some good transition defense. But as far as an individual matchup, uh, I mean, the easy answer is always right. LeBron, who will likely be guarded by Aaron Gordon. But you know, I'm looking at what Jamal Murray against whoever he's going to be guarded by can do. I think the, you know, I think the Nuggets are going to have to get that secondary score because as we saw right against the Suns, Jokic can have a 50-point triple-double and the Nuggets can lose. I think you're going to have to have two guys playing really well to beat these Lakers in a seven-game series. And of course, you got to look no further than Jamal Murray. Their second best player.
2: When you look at this series, as you mentioned, Look, Jokic is going to get his, right? He can. But defensively, I do wonder about Denver and how they match up with the Lakers. You know, we so focus on what AD is going to do to Jokic and try to slow him down. What can we expect defensively Denver to do to slow down LA? Not
9: much. I'll be honest with you. We saw the blueprint, right, when they played the Pelicans they just score a lot of points and they do so efficiently and they're doing it again in these playoffs. I don't think any team is averaging more points per game. I don't think any team shooting better from three than maybe the Boston Celtics. So that's really been their recipe all season, right? Just be average defensively. And you're right. Jokic is going to have his hands full with Anthony Davis as well on, on the other end of the court as like ads is going to have with Jokic. And I, I just don't think you're going to be able to slow him down, but If you're Denver, right, if you're Mike Malone, you don't want AD having those 40-20 games. You don't want LeBron James having an easy 35 or so. So just do enough, get some stops, and hope that your offense is going to be better than the Lakers, which it has been all season.
2: Who do you like to win this series and why?
9: I like Denver because, Raymond, I don't think I can see the Lakers maybe even winning one game in Denver. It's really hard to win there. Right? They're just during the regular season. There are Utah because of the elevation aspect. Traveling teams always have had an issue over the past, you know, ever, ever since those teams really came into being. And then, of course, I just feel like Denver's a better team, right? They've been together longer, they've got that chemistry. So, where we've been lauding the Lakers' depth against their previous two opponents, I think the Denver Nuggets have, you know, just similarly as, as you know, as potent of a you know, choices for, for Mike Malone off the bench. So you got Bruce Brown coming off. You can have KCP having a good game. i already mentioned Aaron Gordon, who is a borderline all-star. And then you've got a few more names that I feel like Mike Malone can use. So I think they've got, you know, the personnel to do it. They've got the advantage by having the home court advantage and they're just a better team, right? They've been more cohesive over the last few years and such. So you feel like they're going to live up to the bigger moments.
3: Well, Ollie, over in the East, um, there's an interesting kind of dynamic going where Boston obviously was the better team all season. Miami wasn't even in the playoff picture at certain times. Yet, in these in this postseason specifically, I'd argue Miami's been far better and more consistent than Boston's been. So, which do you think wins out in a series like this?
9: I'm loving that we're going to see these two teams meet again because I, I think, what well, have they met? Three of the last four seasons they've met at some point in the playoffs? And last year it took the Boston Celtics seven games to a win, right? To advance to the finals. So I'll tell you what, it's a toss-up. I've been dismissing the Heat ever ever since the postseason started, but you can't do it anymore. And look, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler might be the best single-handed closer in the game right now. I know what Jason Tatum did over the last five quarters, but look, he's had his real off moments. Jimmy Butler doesn't seem to have those, especially when that, you know, his team needs them. Eric Spolstra. He might be the best coach remaining, and he's definitely better than Joe Mazzulla. So you got to think, if there's any close games, I, I've got a feeling the Heat are going to pull out a lot more than, say, the Boston Celtics will. And then, of course, the defense. Miami's Heat, you know, they can stop anybody because they've got Bam out of bio. He can guard centers to basically being able to guard anybody in the perimeter, one through five. And when you think about teams that have had success against the Heat during the regular season, they used to do it with size, right, to beat them up inside boston doesn't play that way they play largely on the perimeter so i feel like the way boston plays plays into the heat's hand it just depends on how well boston shoots the three so i'm with you boston's got the better team you know one through 15 but talent doesn't always win as we've seen right just in these playoffs so i think that series is going to go at least seven and i you know it's a 50 50 toss up for me i can easily see the heat advance if jason tatum has too many off games if you know, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart don't have don't don't play up to their potential basically.
3: Well, and you say one to fifteen, and Miami has had to use the guys that were maybe 12, 13, and fourteen on that roster with some of the injuries they've had. That's what to me makes it even more impressive is the peripheral guys around Jimmy Butler stepping up. I mean, we're getting performances from guys like Kevin Love and Kyle Lowry. I mean, where did all that come from?
9: <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, Eric Spoelstra's got. You just mentioned the two veterans that a lot of teams have already dismissed to, what was it seven undrafted players? Yeah, any given night, maybe Duncan Robinson will hit you, gave you five three pointers. Max Struess get you seven. And then, of course, you got that veteran uh, presence from Kyle Lowry, who I feel like these playoffs have kind of, you know, awoken him. I thought he was terrible the whole regular season, and you saw it. Eric Spolster didn't play him much, removed him from the starting lineup. Now, suddenly, he's proven to you know give you a positive impact out there he's such a smart savvy player where he's going to get you it feels like a few charges hit some big key shots kevin love same thing get you some good rebounds some outlet passes um and then of course hit a couple of threes as well and that's that's really been the recipe for the heat they were a terrible three-point shooting team in a regular season one of the worst they've been a lot better here in the postseason so if they can keep that up And keep getting these contributions, which, you know, Spolster always does. He gets everything out of his players. They play all to, you know, their roles so perfectly, right? And with Boston, the issue has been the focus and stuff. So, yeah, I'm with you guys. The Heat get every ounce of everything they've got on their roster. It's pretty impressive to see.
2: We're talking with Ollie Cassell, editor in chief of the Bird Rights. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about Golden State. It feels like that things are coming to an end with this particular group, Ollie. I, I don't want to say the dynasty has come to an end, but it definitely feels like it's going to be a off offseason of hard decisions for the Golden State Warriors, what to do with Draymond, what to do with Clay? who's on the last year of his deal. How they reconstruct this roster, because obviously it was flawed this year and they gave a ton of money to Jordan Poole. Uh, What do you make of what's going to be, I I believe, a tough offseason for the Warriors?
9: The first thing I'm looking for is to see is Bob Myers going to resign. That's going to signal to me, if he does, I have a feeling they're going to keep their core three, right? Steph, Clay, and Draymond. But if he doesn't, yeah, I'm with you. Maybe they start going in different You know down a different path you know they're not going to do anything with Steph Curry still one of the best players he's everything to that franchise and you know they want him to retire a warrior Clay yeah he disappointed in these playoffs right how many off games did he have he didn't look like the regular season Clay we saw over what the last three or four months and so that's an issue at, at the, especially at the money that he's going to be commanding on his next contract likely if you're Golden State, I don't think you can pay him the max. Same thing with Draymond. I feel like he's worth more something closer to $20 million a year than whatever his max deal can possibly be. But like I said, I feel like Golden State may keep those three and go for another run because they just won it several years ago. They've got to get better talent around them. That was a difference a couple of years ago, right? They had Otto Porter. They had other vets they could rely on. This year, they tried to rely on the young guys and Jordan Poole, and and he really fell flat on his face. So, honestly, I, if I had to guess, I could maybe foresee the Warriors actually moving off of Jordan Poole, maybe Kaminga, and trying to bring in more vets, and go and, you know, let's throw it all in at one more chance to win it all.
2: I'll get you out of here with this. Uh, Monty Williams gets fired uh, inexplicably, and I just... Uh, the NBA feels like it's in a weird space right now with head coaches because we've had three of the last four coaches that have won the NBA title get axed, and now we have another guy who is a highly well-respected coach who took his team to the finals a couple of years ago getting axed as well. I Is the NBA now the NHL where it's knee-jerk mm-hmm. reaction to firing coaches?
9: It feels like a ram, and I'm with you on the Monty one. It bothered me. I don't understand it. When he was hired, the Suns were a laughingstock. They were dismal on the court, right, for years off the court with Sarver leading, you know, that franchise. And then we discovered with ESPN, you know, announcing what was going on behind their scenes, just ugly stuff. Right. But Mondi was that one steadying presence, especially once he came on board. Right. This team went there. His team, I should say, went eight, zero in a bubble and haven't looked back ever since. I mean, he took the team to the finals two years ago. He's had to deal with so many injuries and, of course, Chris Paul, who seems to fail every single playoffs. And yet I always feel like the Suns have done well. And now you fire Monty when you basically stripped him of his, you know, right, his depth in trading for Kevin Durant, not giving these t- guys time in to gel. I mean, everybody knows when you bring superstars together, either whether during that same season in a trade or that following offseason, and look no further than when the Heat got first assembled, right, with Wade, LeBron, and Bosh, they don't win right away. So I feel like Monty deserved that allowance. And I don't think your words could be any more wrong in in looking at this. This does feel like such a rotating, you know, wheel with coaches. It's almost inexplicable to me. If they have just one trip up, their previous resumes don't matter at all seemingly anymore. And I, I just think that's wrong. Yeah.
2: One more quickly. Doc Rivers, i got about 35 seconds. Is he going to stay the Philadelphia 76ers head coach?
9: I'm shocked he hasn't been fired yet. So that bodes well for his chances on staying on board. And I've got to think, yeah, in the past, he's been terrible in game sevens, winning the big series. But I don't feel like it was his fault this year. James Harden was terrible in the minutes where he played poorly, right? He had a couple good games. That seemingly was it. Joel Embiid came into these playoffs hurt. So Doc didn't have his full weapons. I think he deserves, honestly, another chance. Once you've got a better candidate in the wings, that really makes sense.
2: Ollie, appreciate your time, brother. Enjoy your week, my friend. We'll talk to you next Tuesday.
0: You do the same, Raymond. on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana's sports station your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros RP3 doesn't
2: play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team. I got one college team. I got one major league baseball team.
0: And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his
2: sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for. That's who I support. Period. Call me old-fashioned. Be in. Call me old-fashioned. That's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3
0: is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana sports
2: station oh me oh my crawfish pie that's gonna do it for today's edition of rp3 and company want we'll to take a moment to thank our guest Brett Chancy of the locked on Astros podcast. Jim Gazzolo of the late Charles American Press, and of course, the Meaning's Coaches Show, and Ali Cassell, editor in chief of the Bird Rights. I want to thank them for helping us make this Tuesday absolutely tremendous. Poll question of the day Who wins each conference finals and meets in the NBA finals to play for the Larry O'Brien Trophy? Final results 61% of you say Nuggets and Celtics will advance. 18% say Lakers and Celtics. 18% say Nuggets and Heat. And only 3% of you, 3% of you, rather, there we go. Breaking in a new tongue today, apparently, say Lakers and Heat. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day, and thanks to all of you who left your comments. D'Lo, before conference finals begin, who you got? Who do you like? I just I just hope Denver beats the
3: Lakers. <laughs> um <laughs> it's 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 tough it's an interesting matchup though it's it's a clash of styles in a way uh, it is. with also a little bit of similarity in how they run some of their different offenses because of jokic's passing ability um i'll take denver but i don't feel very confident about it um on the other side like boston's got to block in for seven games here like miami's a clear team that's shown you they're not going to they're not going to mess around so i'll take boston again there just cuz
2: i think it's a better team but watch out uh, it should be Denver-Boston, but I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being Lakers-Heat once again. That's going to do it for today's show. We'll be back on tomorrow 6 to 9, but until then, be safe out there. Be kind of one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.